the farming program with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. The Farming Programme. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Welcome to the first of two special Farming Programme online podcast editions for the last little bit of 2023. Today and on New Year's Eve, we're spending an hour looking back at the year from lots of different angles. Crops, rural crime, money, steel, mental health, the markets and plenty more. We'll talk to industry leaders, local and national, get their take on the year and do a bit of crystal ball gazing into 2024. First, though, we'll see what the pre-Christmas markets have done after the week's news. And starting with a bit of good news that after months of negotiations, British Sugar and NFU Sugar have agreed a deal for the 2024-25 Sugar Beet contract. Growers can choose from £40 a tonne fixed price or £38 a tonne plus a market-linked bonus. A futures-linked option is available and yield protection, a cash advance option, late delivery allowance, local premium and frost insurance. It's been a process that's not served the industry well this year, with the final deal not being announced until well into December. But both parties have now agreed a shortened negotiation timeline, aiming to deliver a final price and contract earlier in the year next time. Congratulations to Lincolnshire Agriculture student Caitlin Bartlett, who was one of two winners of the inaugural Caleb Cooper, yes, him from Clarkson's Farm, agricultural bursary for students at Gloucestershire's Royal Agricultural University. Caitlin will receive a £3,000 payment and the opportunity for a work placement with Caleb or one of his industry partners. Both Caleb and Caitlin are from non-farming families and what a great start to Caitlin's BSc studies and let's hope a long and successful career in agriculture. And the NFU has announced that it's secured essential energy support for horticulture businesses, with calls continuing for the poultry sector to be included too. Growers will now have access to the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund to help cut energy bills. This was one of the key outcomes from the recent Farm to Fork Summit at Westminster. We'll start our look back at the year with NFU Vice President David Exwood in a minute, but first... Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting as usual with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Ed Middleton. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Steve. This is Louth Livestock Market Report for Monday the 18th of December. Starting off with store cattle, this week we had a festive entry for the final store cattle sale of 2023. Trade was excellent from start to finish. A.W. Lewis topped the steers and the heifers, with the heifers topping at 10.85 and the steers at 11.40. G.H. and V.A. Rutter of Sleuthby had an excellent run of finishing cattle, topping at 1,070 for a 15-month Aberdeen Angus steer, and others from the same home at 9.45, 9.20 and 8.40. R.A. Carter of Foldingworth sold 11-month-old livers and heifers at 7.40. Moving on to the sheep, numbers slightly back this week but trade speaks for itself. We had an SQQ of 261.9 and an all-in average of 262.5. An all-in average pounds per head of 121 pounds and 58 pence with pen after pen over the 275 pence per kilo mark. Properly fed lambs with flesh taking the premiums this week, the top in the pounds per head and the pence per kilo goes to H. Smith & Sons of Mablethorpe, topping at £149 for the pence per kilo at 293 pence per kilo. Other leading prices on the day was Woodthorpe Hall Farms Limited, 51 kilos at £133. B. Poucher & Sons, 55 kilos at £139. P.S. Marsden & Son of Lincoln, 54.5 kilos at £139. Chamberlain Brothers, 53 kilos at 133, and H. Ward Farming Limited, 51 kilos at 130. And finally, onto the store lambs, a small offering of store lambs this week, but lambs still in big demand. Tiog of Scunthorpe topped at 85 pounds, with others at 72 pounds. Longer keep lambs, typically between 65 and 75 pound mark. And finally, I'd like to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and I look forward to seeing you on the 1st of January at our New Year's Day sale for all prime and store cattle and all classes of sheep. I encourage you to support this sale. We have buyers looking to secure stock on this day. So for all entries, please contact myself. 
I'm Edward Middleton, auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market. Thanks and a very happy Christmas to you, Ed, and everybody at Louth Livestock Market. And with the final grey market report of the year, Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. The last report before Christmas. It's been quite a challenging year, but as expected, this week has proven to be relatively uneventful. Little has happened to change the recent market trend. It is, however, mildly reassuring to see that May 24, having broken the 195 mark, has not gone into freefall and is still hovering around this zone. Domestically, there is still very little to report. Egypt, on the other hand, went shopping on Tuesday. The prices paid are in line with recent trades and appear to be from Russia. There was some good news for soybeans on Tuesday, with reports of more purchases from China. Chicago soybeans have been underpinned by a recent run of U.S. export sales. The U.S. Department of Agriculture said in a daily report that exporters sold 132,000 metric tonnes of U.S. soybeans to unknown destinations for delivery in the marketing year that began 1st September. However, this news was bearish for EU all-seed rape, hence we saw a 6.75 euro drop in values. The list of shipping channels with issues is growing, now including the Black Sea, Panama Canal and the Red Sea. If world shipping is the heart of global trade, then right now its arteries are blocking up and are in need of some stents. This will serve to further separate markets from each other. This is clearly an area that will need watching in the new year. Wet weather is still dominating the UK and Northern Europe. Concerns over growing crops are now becoming more widespread. Wheat is a resilient crop, so hopefully it will stand the test of this wet autumn. In the meantime, the bots are firmly in charge of the derivative markets, and with managed funds still short of wheat and maize futures, they are eager to feast on any negative news. Fundamentals are taking a back seat, but at least there are signs that demand is picking up, whilst logistics will become increasingly challenging as we move into the winter months. The spring barley area for crop 24 is expected to be up by 13%, but this has not been planted yet and whether conditions will play their part. We don't think that molsters will carry over that much crop 23 this year, so the outcome of the new crop is going to be one to watch. Malting barley premiums are holding up in both the old and new crop positions, which would suggest that the supply and demand picture is tighter than it's being reported. There are still two wars ongoing, which only adds to the uncertainty. We can only hope for better things in the new year. And on that note, have a wonderful Christmas and hopefully most will get a chance to enjoy a couple of well-deserved days off. Some guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat for January 180 to 190, February 185 to 195, November 195 to 205, with Group 1 milling premium still holding between 60 and 70 pounds. Feed barley for February 155 to 165, May 160 to 170, and finally for this week, all seed rape, January 345 to 355, and May 355 to 365. As usual, please call for firm values. Thanks, and a very Merry Christmas to you and everybody at Openfield. Thanks, Alice. This is the Farming Programme podcast for December 24th, the first of two special editions looking back at 2023 from many agricultural angles and discussing what 2024 may have in store. We'll start by welcoming NFU Vice President David Exwood. David, another challenging year for farming, do you think, especially the weather? Yeah, it's been a really tough year, hasn't it? And uh, I think the weather has just been particularly challenging for everybody. I mean, we had a really difficult harvest at home. Uh, and it's just kind of gone right through to the uh, to the end of the year, hasn't it? It's been very difficult. And I think you've had that coming together of all the things that we've seen of weather, uh, policy, so the transition away from uh, direct payments, uh, and obviously the risk-reward of farming, so the costs of inputs are rising uh, and the, what we're receiving at the farm gate going down. So it's the coming together of those three elements have just made it a really, really tough year for everybody. The risk-reward balance i think is the one that's really gone out of kilter the the reward you get for the risk you take just feels all wrong and it's left people probably with an all-time low confidence uh, in farming it's almost been the perfect storm really hasn't it the weather was well you can't control the weather obviously but it seemed to be whatever weather we got was the wrong weather at the wrong time the cost of living situation as you say input costs continue to rise but outputs aren't matching that and, of course, we've got more pressure on farmers from an environmental point of view, from the politics, and the revolving door at DEFRA doesn't really help, does it? 
No, and we do need government. I think if we've learned anything from the last couple of years, it's that we need government, we need decisions, we need action. Look at, you know, sort of parallel imports and may see treatments. There is a classic case of we need government to act, and when we haven't had it, it caused problems. And actually, that's one of my problems, sort of moving to looking forward to next year, is that we know there's a general election coming. We know that it's going to uh, happen, but we don't know when, and the fear is that government will effectively shut down for another significant amount of next year and we won't get those decisions that we all need. The smart money seems to be on a change of government next year. I know we can't predict this and I know we're only crystal ball gazing, but presumably the NFU's got to work with whichever party is in Parliament. Absolutely. That's what we do. We are one of the the most recognised lobbying organisations in the country across all industries, not just farming. And our job is to work with whoever is the government of the day, whoever is in front of us. And obviously, we're having those conversations with all parties now, partly to get the the manifesto asked right, to get that discussion around the needs of food and farming, what food security looks like in this country, right in those debates that will happen in the run-up to the general election. But then obviously after that as well, when the new government get around the table, when we have a new cabinet in front of us, and we will have, highly likely, we will have yet another uh, DEFRA secretary uh, in front of us uh, and what their agenda will be and what their take on the challenges that we all face are and then how we will influence them. One would hope that food production is high on the agenda. Do you want to just give us a bit of a, an idea what's in the NFU manifesto that you've recently published? So I think uh, most backbench MPs and political parties have come to recognise the value of food security, food production and value what British farmers do, which is what British people think. We're very clear on our surveying that actually, you know, something like 80% of the country really value what we do and recognise the importance of it. That's great. But a lot of people are talking the talk. We want them to now walk the walk. And it is about what policies they will do. So in our manifesto, the first ask is actually an increased budget for DEFRA because absolutely there are environmental targets and we want to achieve and deliver for the environment, but we've got to do it for food too at the same time from the same land. And that is going to take some investment and it needs help, but it, could, it can be many forms. We have the ELMS, the SFI platform is up and running now. That's great, but it does need to be about farming as well as the environment, the clues in the title. But it could be about uh, productivity grants as well. We've all got very used to having grants for capital items, maybe some larger things like the slurry grant scheme, or maybe smaller items like a cattle crush. We think they're really important. Productivity is key. Let's have the certainty and investment in that to have that going forward so that farmers can know what's coming down the line and use it as part of their investment. So the budget, and then it's the policies that really support food production and fairness in the supply chain as well, because it's not just about what government can do with the DEFRA budget, but it's actually making sure that farmers are getting a return from the marketplace. And goodness me, let's, let's look at what's happened in, uh, with British Sugar. Very pleased that the negotiations have concluded and are now successful, but actually it didn't look that way for a long time. And we're very pleased that uh, British Sugar Growers stood together under NFU Sugar, and actually they get some real success by standing there together. But it was only like that because they felt so strongly. Yeah, I mean, it seems to have taken an awful long time. We have a lot of sugar growers in Lincolnshire, as you know, and it seems to be a crazy situation that here we are only getting an announcement made in the middle of December. And I think that was part of the negotiations, actually, about the timing around this and actually being better. So it wasn't just about uh, the big price, but it was also about how this process works how to make it work better for growers. But uh, look, I have never seen a group of growers more united. And it's a shame that it came to that, but I'm very pleased they stood together because it worked. And that shows you the value of the NFU. It shows you the value of farmers working together because actually, you know, people do need what we do. It is the basis of so much of the food manufacturing and supply in this country. Uh, and, And look, we can't take our market for granted. But uh, equally, we have to stand up for what we we know to be right. Absolutely. Do you think there's any likelihood of a pause in the transition from BPS to SFI? I mean, it's not exactly been seamless. There's been delays. A lot of people are calling for a bit of a pause in this to take breath and and see where we go next. I think it's important that farmers recognise that direct payments are are, are a thing of the past. and There is no political party offering that as a policy solution for the future. Now, we could 
have a pause in the coming year. And maybe that is a way forward. But I actually think I would rather work on getting SFRI right for farmers quickly. It's there. It's working. People are applying. There are people getting paid for it already. And that's good. And I think it would be far better to look forward and try and adapt to uh, the new system and try and get that right and try and get that bit that really sits around productive farming as well as delivering for the environment. We we have announcements coming uh, in the new year. There will be a, a much more expanded offer. Let's see what that is. Actually, I think there's a lot there for grassland farmers, and we will see what the offer is for uh, the uplands farmers. But for Lincolnshire, it's really important that it works for arable. And the challenge at the moment is that the really big money in SFI is in for non-food, non-farming options. You know, if you really want to maximise your payments, it's about taking it out of production. And I don't think that's right. Yes, we want sustainable farming and food production, but actually we want that, not just putting it into wildflowers or wild bird seed. No, All but- very good things. We could do better with SFI. No, you're absolutely right that they are good things and they are important things. But I'm getting people saying to me, actually, I can probably make more money not farming my land and taking advantage of all the other potential money than actually producing food. That's worrying, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's it's not right. And it is about the balance of the scheme. And it is a powerful new force in the land marketplace. And look, I describe it as a policy with an accelerator for the environment and no steering wheel and no brakes. And I think that's it. It's now about how we can adapt and amend that policy so that it works better uh, for farmers. And it does, you know, it supports food production as well as the environment. And that's the key bit. That's what good looks like. It's both. And at the moment, I think it's too much heavily weighted against the environment, particularly for arable farmers uh, in the in the east of the country. Yeah, as I say, it's that balance, isn't it? Looking back on the year and looking ahead a little bit, can we? There's a danger with with a program like this that it'll all be moan and groan and and everything's dreadful. Can we draw any positives to to sort of lighten the mood a little bit? I think. Uh, look, you have to say this until we talk positively. NFU Sugar, that was a great win, and that 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 was actually a really positive thing. You know, it's a it's a valuable break crop. We've got a great industry there. You know, that now has a better future than it looked uh, a few weeks ago. I think that's positive. I think we do have a recognition of the value of food. And I think it will be a central part of a general election. And we're seeing, you know, good offers from all parties. So let's hope that translates into action. I think on rural crime, look, it makes a big difference to how people feel and how they live on their farms. We have seen progress in that. I was very pleased to see the setting up of the National Rural Crime Unit Uh, this year and i think that intelligence that ability to share best practice across the country will hopefully uh, deliver for members so there are things to look forward it's a very exciting time on my farm at home you know there's lots to look forward to this year we have uh, new green fertilizers we're going to be trying this year we have new ways of working within sfi we're going to be trying new things the environment on the farm you know there's lots to look forward to and i know it's been the most challenging of years but actually Farming is still really important. We still, that core food production is valued and there is some really exciting things to look forward to next year. Well, talking about things being valued, that was one thing I picked up from a survey the other day and I think it might have been actually from Minette's uh, recent vlog that farming is getting more and more valued. I think she said that it's uh, nurses are the most valued profession and farming is valued second place. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? It is and... So often farmers feel isolated, alone, unrewarded, you know, uh, and not thanked. And that's easy because, you know, we work on our family farms often. You know, we we don't always interact with our customers, the people who ultimately buy our food. But, yeah, be reassured, be confident that people really do value what farming does. And it's, yes, it's for that food production, but I think it's their recognition of the role they play in communities and and the rural, uh, the rural economy, they're just so key. Farming and food production is at the heart of that. And, and that makes up the British countryside. And, and they're inextricably linked to that. And the pe- people value that. And how many professions would like to be seen as second to nurses? I mean, that is a fantastic achievement. And we must celebrate that and feel the good that that is. Yeah, I think we could possibly shout about that a little bit more. And I think as we go into the new year, that's one area that uh, possibly needs uh, promoting rather more than it is. And talking of the new year, of course, changes at the top of the NFU next year. <laughs> Absolutely. The 
two years of election cycle has come round. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting out around the country on the hustings and uh, making the case. Um, very happy to be standing as uh, deputy president, and, uh, and I hope I'm successful in that. It's a brilliant job. It's a brilliant organisation. Never more needed than now. There's so much to do. I feel very happy what I've achieved in the last two years. But goodness me, let's get on with the next two years. Absolutely. Do you want to make a, a last thing, a, a comment on Minette? She's had quite an impact on the farming world, hasn't she? Absolutely. Six years as president of the NFU, one of the most successful ever. And just the recognition, yes, of course, in the farming industry, uh, nationally as well. But I've got to tell you, she's glo- a globally recognised figure. You know, I get reaction about her from farmers all across the world. We can't thank her enough at a time of such challenge, such difficulty. I mean, what a six years to be president, you know, Brexit, uh, COVID, Ukraine war. I mean, quite incredible challenges. And she's been more than a match to all three of those. I wish her a very peaceful time now. I think, you know, six years and dealing with that lot is probably enough for anyone. So I think I'm very glad that she can uh, look to the new year and new challenges and different challenges is not the last we all have heard of her uh, either. I'll, I'll be very confident of that. Oh, I'm sure not. She might actually get to do some farming for a change. Absolutely. We are all uh, office holders of the NFU. We're all farmers at heart. I'm sure some time at home uh, and with the, with the animals and the family will be much appreciated. Absolutely. Well, I wish you well for your campaign, David. We'll keep an eye on how things go, obviously, when uh, AGM time comes around. And from all of us at the Farming Programme, uh, listeners and those of us on the staff, I wish you a very, very happy new year. Thank you so much. Best wishes for the new year for everyone. I hope that they can have a better year in 2024. It actually brings some reward for what they do. All right, David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. This year has seen some remarkable weather, most remarkable for being the wrong type at the wrong time pretty much all the time, culminating in some devastating flooding in many parts of the country at the end of October. I took a trip out with NFU Deputy President Tom Bradshaw and several Lincolnshire farmers, including arable farmer Andrew Ward, to some farms near Bardney that looked more like lakes than farmers' fields. We'll talk about that in a minute, but first, Andrew, let's step back a couple of months more to Harvest 2023. Yields seem to be all over the place this year, and the harvest was described by many as not bad. How was this year's harvest for you, Andrew? Yeah, it it was, Steve. It was really very all over the place. We had fields that looked really good, and I'm talking about winter wheat now, and these crops look really stunning going into harvest. And you thought, well, they're going to be some good yields off that. And they weren't. And they were doing sort of nine tonnes a hectare, which for us is okay, but it's not really where we need to be. We need to be up to 11 and 12. And then we had some continuous wheat fields, and they normally don't yield quite as well. But this year, there are record yields. There are best yields we had at 10 and a half, 11 tonnes a hectare. Um, And then looking into into spring barley, the, the, the spring crops weren't planted until middle of April because last spring was so wet. And we're always going to be up against it with the spring crops planted so late. And yes, they didn't yield as we thought they wouldn't do. They came out at around about six and a half uh, tonnes, seven tonnes per hectare, which um, isn't really good enough. But we knew they were going to be low because when they went in the ground. Has it been really all down to the weather this year? I think it it has. Really, yes, it has. When you look at the the winter wheats, going back to those, we, we didn't get the right weather at the right time. And, and I know that the, the public generally always say, oh, farmers are moaning about the weather. We're never happy. And, and that's because we do need the weather at the right time. And we need rain at the right time. And we need sun and warmth at the right time. And we just didn't get that this year. So it, it, it's just one of those things that, that we have to deal with the weather. And, and that's caused a lot of our a lot of our issues yeah and of of course things were the wrong place or the the wrong weather at the wrong time wasn't it a lot of the time it it was that that's just what it that's just what it was and then the other crops we grow uh obviously those those uh capulet beans that we've all been talking about for the for the last few months to go and to make baked beans they that's been a successful trial this year i'm really pleased with how it's turned out we obviously have a lot to learn from that and we will be changing what we've done with that crop putting more seed in the ground, drilling it slightly earlier and hopefully getting it harvested a bit earlier. And then the other crop, sugar beet, that uh, again was difficult because we couldn't get it in the ground soon enough. We decided to to harvest the heavy land sugar beet 
early this year and I'm really glad we did with the way the weather's turned out. So we harvested that in September and that came out at about 66 tonnes per hectare, which is 30 tonnes per hectare below where we were last year. So, so a huge reduction in yield. That's because it went in the ground late and the following weather when it went in was, was very dry after that. We had eight weeks of, of sort of weather without any rain virtually. So it's been a very, very challenging year, Steve. And of course, with the weather we're now getting, it means we haven't got many crops in the ground for this next harvest. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that because not that long ago, you and I, Tom Bradshaw, Deputy President of the NFU and several local farmers were standing uh, near Bardney, uh, looking over an area that should normally be nice fields and nice and healthy fields, but it was just a lake, wasn't it? We've had some dreadful floods and it seems much the same as it was 2019. We don't seem to have learned an awful lot. No, we, we, and this is the problem, and, and you absolutely hit it on the head there about learning a lot from before, and we need to do that. We cannot afford you and I having this conversation in three or four years' time saying, oh, do you remember back to 2023 and 2019? Because we just cannot, as a, as a county, as, as an industry, producing food to save on imports, we can't keep doing this and, and not learning. The problem we've got is that the, the government aren't rec- recognising the value of farmland in producing food over the value of protecting houses. I'm not saying that farmland is more valuable, but they should be looked at in equal measures because... You could say the countryside and where we produce food is a factory without a roof. And when you look at the amount of food that Lincolnshire produces, and a third of Lincolnshire is is, uh, below sea level, but it is fantastic soil. And we have to protect that area by managing the waterways, managing the rivers and installing pumps if that's what's needed now, because gravity is what carries water. But from the area just just east of Lincoln that's flooded, there's only about four inches per mile of, of fall on the river. And it takes so long to, to empty. And when you look at the amount of water we've had this year, we actually have had it's worse than 2019. And, and the area of water that you say was a, a, around Lincoln was underwater was around 930 hectares of farmland. And that's about 2,300 acres. And that water, you saw it, Steve, was was up to two metres deep. I mean, it was just horrendous, wasn't it? I mean, we can't do, we know we can't do anything about the weather, or some may argue that ultimately you can do, but in the short term, you can't do an awful lot about the weather. But we can do something to deal with the effects of the weather, and this doesn't seem to have happened. I'm thinking of watercourses clearing the, the rubbish out from the bottom of rivers and so on. That doesn't seem to have happened in the last four years. No, it doesn't. We have to look after nature and environment, and all farmers are doing that now. We're looking after their environment, we're looking after nature, as well as producing food. And the problem we've got is that there's more value to a farmer in actually having uh, having this type of land, in having margins and having environmental things. You can make more money on that than you can producing food. And that really is is wrong. We cannot allow ourselves to keep going down this system of having less food produced in this country uh, and, and more, more coming in from abroad. Because the floods, as we saw a couple of months ago, will have had a devastating effect on those farmers, won't it? Absolutely. On round figures, Steve, if you put a crop of wheat in the ground and uh, you've got seed, you've got fertiliser, uh, you've got some pre-emergence herbicides you've put on, it's roughly £100 an acre that will be lost on that and that's without any machinery costs going into the equation as well and some of these farms you've got a lot of remedial work to do you've got you've got drainage systems that will need repair work there's a lot of dikes and ditches will need need extra work doing fences will have been ruined so there's a huge amount that now uh, a lot of a lot of cost if you like that now will be needed to put this lot right and a lot of those crops will have been newly planted won't they so are they just lost now for this season yeah, they, they will be. A crop of wheat doesn't survive long underwater. And uh, yes, it's, it's all been lost. And some fields, actually, we've got quite a lot of our fields that even haven't been underwater. But there's been so much rain that the seed just explodes and bursts in the soil and isn't any good. And so all those fields will need replanting next spring. And the problem we've got is because there's a shortage of spring seed, 
We can't put winter crops into land in March time because it won't grow. It needs a frost to vernalise it. You have to have special varieties to plant in the spring. There's a shortage of that type of seed and any of those seeds it is about, it's just big money. That's the problem with it. I can I can sense here shortage, shortage equals prices going up. Exactly, and that's what we're seeing already. There is already massive prices, price increase, extra costs this coming this year without a shadow of a doubt. But the output price we get, we're price takers in farming. We're not price makers, and we have to we have to just be take what the world price of our product is, and we have to try and make a, a living and make a profit and, and make a margin on the price that we, we are going to be paid for our crops because we don't have a say in what we're going to get paid for things. So we don't get too doom and gloom. Have you got any positives from 2023 for me, Andrew? The positives are that we are alive. We're living in a fantastic country. Wherever there's um, negativity or wherever there's, there's a downside, there's always optimism around the corner. And I think that the thing is with this, you've got to make the most of, of what you've got. And out of something bad always comes something good. There is no doubt about that. And I think when you look at what is happening around the world in other countries, and I think it's getting out of bed every morning um, and and just having a a nice environment, a nice country to live in, is is what is a a benefit. We've got an awful lot to be thankful for. I suppose one thing to be thankful for is that despite all the weather and despite all the problems, the services of forage aid haven't been called into, uh, into use this year. No, that is, it's really strange that we, we, we have joined in with Addington, as, as we'll know. You're always very good at, at sort of giving regular updates uh, for, for Forage Aid for us. And we've joined with a housing charity called the Addington Fund earlier on in the year. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great that we, we've sort of now supported by another big charity in, in the country. But with all the floods around, we haven't been called in, into operation yet. We have been talking to the Scottish RSABI, so that's the Royal uh, Benevolent Institute in Scotland, because they suffered a lot more floods in Scotland than we did down here and sooner. But I think the way we're going is that invariably farmers have got some feed and have got straw and things that they're making use of now. But it very much depends on on the winter and, and the spring on how quickly they can turn livestock out into into the grass into the spring and i think we're going to be called into into use i would have said probably in february time or maybe even early march but it does depend very much on the weather we're going to get over the over the next two or three months well the services are there and excellent they are too uh, should they need to be called on let's just hope for a better 2024 than 2023 uh, and andrew and Rhonda, i wish you a very very happy new year Thank you very much, Steve, and to you and to all the wonderful listeners of of Links FM and the Farming Programme. That's Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward. I'm Steve Orchard. This is the Farming Programme podcast, a special online edition looking back at 2023 and getting the crystal ball out for the new year. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. How will that new year look for the people of Ukraine? Still, it seems likely caught up in the dire situation in which they find themselves following Russia's invasion almost two years ago, two years in February. They have benefited from the help of UK farmers, with hundreds of pickups and 4x4s being donated and driven to Ukraine to help military logistics. At the start of 2023, I spoke to one of the founders and organisers and a farmer, Vince Gillingham, about pickups for peace. I caught up with Vince a few days ago and asked him to give us an update on the campaign so far. First, though, how did it all start, Vince? I had a phone call from Mark Laird, who, who originally came up with the idea back in December last year. And he, he rang me to say, that, you know, we need to do something. What can we do? And um, we both came came to the conclusion of, well, let's let's try and send pickup trucks because that was what was needed and uh, you know we originally targeted 100 pickup trucks and uh, we thought that that was a, going to be a stretch we created a charity so we got registered as a charity and we did that by june which was just an incredible achievement uh, which was just a massive support from uh, from the farming community in the in, in the uk and following on from that we're up to target to 200 and um we 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 managed to achieve that by september we've delivered in total 265 uh, pickup trucks or pickups and four-wheel drives into Ukraine. But but they, they have been laden with over £2 million worth of aid. It's quite incredible. You know, we've sent, uh, I think, nearly 100 generators, and some of them have been very big, expensive generators from incredible businesses that have supported us. 
uh, you know, that sort of generated can power a small hospital. So we've taken over a huge amount of um, aid to go with this medical aid, you know, warm clothes, boots, jerry cans and spades and all sorts of things just to support, you know, we've got the vehicles moving with the space in the back. It's a remarkable achievement and, as you say, huge amount of support from the farming community around the UK. What's been the effect of this in the Ukraine? Put simply, um, we were told by one of the military guys that basically each one of those pickup trucks saves a life. And the the simplest way, this is actually um, Keith Dawson, who's also a a key component of the the charity, he, he, he put it quite nicely. He said, if you imagine that's 260 fathers at Christmas having dinner with their families that otherwise wouldn't have been. And, and I've got countless videos of our pickup trucks being used to recover bodies or recovered injured people from the front line, delivering food, medicine, aid, all those sorts of things. It's a life and death scenario. But the big challenge is the replacements. So, um, you know, out of the 265, we, we've expected, we're expecting that we've probably lost 50 of them, 50% of them already. So we, we continually need to take these these pickup trucks because they are consumables they do get broken whether that's by just the the, the extreme terrain that they're working in or, or or something worse there is a constant need um but but ultimately it comes down to as i say people sat at the christmas table this year that otherwise wouldn't be there and and frankly i think i think you know we can confidently say that there's a couple of hundred lives that have been saved just by the the hard work and dedication of the UK farming community is it's incredible. There is a danger, Vince, isn't there, in any conflict, that the longer it goes on, the more the general public start to lose interest, sadly. Do you still need support? Are you still ongoing? Absolutely. I mean, the charity is thriving probably more than ever. Um, that That is true. You know, you've seen Ukraine sort of slowly dissolve away from the the front pages of the newspapers and the news, you know, the news on, on our TV screens. But the reality is on the ground that this is bloodier than ever in Ukraine. It's turned into a horrible stalemate, an artillery stalemate. You're, you're dealing with a, a World War One slash two environment on the front line. Um, the levels of death and injury are just uh, just higher than ever. And we, we have to keep supporting. You know, Ukraine, most people don't realize Ukraine is less than a day's drive away. You can drive to Ukraine in 23 hours to the border. So there is a, a, a seismic war going on in less than a day's drive away from, from our border. That's the reality. If this thing goes the wrong way and, um, and we don't keep supporting from a, right the way from the government down to the farmer uh, on the ground, this can overspill and, and we can be in a really bad place that we don't want to be and and that's that's the real risk here is if if everyone takes their foot off the support gas you know ukraine fails and uh, and and we end up in a position where russia is emboldened and they won't stop in ukraine Um, there's absolutely no doubt their ambitions their colonial ambitions are much greater than that and uh, the Tsar will have succeeded and uh, you know he, he, he will carry on so so it's absolutely key that we do our little bit which is which is mini logistics. And um, that was, you know, one of the key components to the Second World War. You know, victory was the humble Jeep. They made hundreds of thousands of these things the US. And, and they obviously flooded flooded Europe with them. And, and you talked to a lot of the military experts. That was one of the key reasons that, uh, that, that, that the Allies succeeded was they had this small logistics support. And, and that's what we're trying to provide in a much smaller way to, to, to Ukraine. I think that we will, you know, we will continue, we will continue next year. We've already got our next trip planned at the end of February, early March. So anybody from from, from, from Lynx FM and, and listening who, who wants to go on a mission and, and wants to get involved and support, you know, you can sign up still. The convoys will will, um, will continue. We, we, we're not doing it over winter just for health and safety reasons. Mainly people are driving out on summer tyres and obviously the, the, the roads can be very icy. But we will be we will be delivering another probably thirty or forty vehicles first week of March or end of end of February. I think the remarkable statistic for me in there the two statistics one are the number of lives potentially saved and as you say lives and families affected by this, but also the fact that this thing's going on less than a day's drive away, which I must admit I'd not twig that. Uh, it's quite scary for lots of reasons. The project goes on, the campaign goes on, as you say. For somebody who's not been aware of this or not been involved but thinks, oh, yeah, I've maybe got an old old truck in the, in the yard I'm not using, 
What do they do? Where do they go for information? How do they sign up? What can you tell us about what you need? The best way is to connect to us through social media, if that's easy for people. So the pickups of peace are on, on sort of Twitter and, and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those sorts of things. Or you can reach out via uh, via email, which is pickups for peace. So pickups with an S for peace at memus, M-E-M-U-S dot co dot UK. They're the two best ways to reach out. Georgia, who is, um, she's a, you know, from a from farming, so she's, she, she's helping manage everything. She's basically at Harper Adams University over in, in Shropshire. Um, she, she, she supports everybody and she can give you all the support you need, whether that be fundraising or information on how you donate or, or how, how to get involved and volunteer. So so please do reach out to her. She's, she's, she's wonderful and very supportive. So um, we work with people who want to do something, whether that's be drive a truck or donate some money or donate a truck or, or, or all three of the above, um, that, that there is a place uh, for everybody. And um, if we look at the demographics, we've taken 18-year-olds and 84-year-olds on the journey. So there is no um, there is no barrier to entry, men, women, you know, whatever. We, we, we're open and we want we want it to be a broad demographic and, and be welcome to all. And uh, it's an experience. One of the biggest things that we've learned this year is we're often thanking the people that do this. But bizarrely, as sort of founders and, and, and trustees of the, the charity, the amount of thanks we get back from the people that have done it is just incredible because we've given them a, an opportunity or a vehicle to actually do something that they want, they really want to do but didn't know how to do it. If there's anybody listening today that's, that's thinking about, I'd like to, you know, it's a bit of an adventure, it's a challenge, it's a, it's a convoy with like-minded people. Um, you can do it with your, you know, family members. There's been lots of farmers and, uh, sorry, father and sons and, you know, mums and daughters who have done this. Do get in touch because it's not, it sounds like a big step to fund the pickup and, and to drive to Ukraine. Everything is planned for you. So, you know, as long as you've got motivation and willingness to do this, it's achievable. Um, and we can we can help you. We can help you do it. It's a fantastic project a fantastic campaign more power to your elbow vince um thank you and let's hope this continues to have the the benefits and the effects that you want it to do as we move into 2024 yeah well thanks for the time thanks for all the support from from links fm and 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 all your listeners you know um we know you're a big farming uh, community and, and we you know we are farming people but we've just been staggered by by the generosity and, and, and steadfastness of, of, of the farming community. And, and we, we will continue next year. This isn't, this isn't over. This absolutely needs continued and building support from, from everybody just to help Ukraine, you know, get across the line and, and keep their people safe. Because as you say, it's gone out of the news, but we really need the continued support from, from the great people in Lincolnshire and, and further, further afield. All right, Vince. Well, as I say, all all the best for the the coming campaigns and the new year. And uh, very happy new year to you and yours from the farming programme. Thank you very much, Chissy. Pickups for peace, all one word on social media. Let's keep the momentum going. And if you've been or maybe you're going in March, drop me an email, steve at linksfm.co.uk. It would be great to hear from you. This is the Farming Programme podcast, this week and next, looking at the year about to end. Thank goodness, many will say, and hoping for a better 2024. What can we expect from young farmers? Lincolnshire County Chair is Rosie Finney. Rosie, welcome back to the Farming Programme. Are you winding down now for a nice, relaxing end to the year? I work in a chicken hatchery, so I'm I'm assistant manager at a chicken hatchery up at Scunthorpe, so we do about 1.4 million chicks a week. Yeah, they're not Um, going to stop laying, are they? No, exactly. And they're not going to stop hatching. So <laughs> we've got to keep going. Everyone always wants chicken. They don't recognise that it's Christmas at all. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rosie, let's talk about young farmers. How was 2023 for you? Oh, I mean, it's been absolutely crazy the last year. Thinking back on what we've done, um, you know, I'm glad it's nearly Christmas because I think we all need a break. We've been that busy. Um, we've bounced back from COVID finally. Um, we've reached 600 members, which we've not we've not got to that number for for several years now. Yeah, it's been incredible year, really. Certainly had a fantastic rally at Wardy's Farm at Lednam, didn't we, this summer? Oh, absolutely. And and again, one of the biggest rallies we've held in years. We had nearly a thousand people there, um, which was incredible. The weather gods looked down on us too. Um, the weather was absolutely fabulous. 
um, and everyone had such a great day, um, a real family day out. Great to hear that your your numbers are going up. For somebody who might not really know that much about Young Farmers, do a quick 30 seconds on what's good about it. Why should somebody join? Oh, wow. Uh, it's hard to sum it up in 30 seconds. Um, well, you can have so, a minute. <laughs> we'll see how long. Uh, so, um, yeah, Young Farmers is a, um, a youth-led organisation, so it's run by the members for the members. I'm only 22, um, but I'm county chair. Um, was voted in by the members, um, which means that the way it's set up is that members can get their their voice and their opinions heard right from club through to um, county and national level. In the county, we have 15 clubs uh, with members from the age of ages of 10 to 28 years. So we have a massive spread of ages. You get to know people from all over the county. Uh, with similar interests. We're not just about farming. Um, we're more just for people in the rural community who want to you know, meet people, try new activities, um, learn new skills, competition, a bit of a social and a bit of a boogie now and again as well. We do such a massive range of things. Yeah, it's great fun. It really is. And you don't have to be a farmer to be a young farmer, do you? No, absolutely not. So um, we pride ourselves on that, that you don't have to be a farmer to be a young farmer anyone who wants to get to know people in their area. We do, of course, do a lot of stuff relating to farming, as you'd expect. Um, and that is, you know, one of our, our core principles, though, is, is learning. So um, you, you may not know much about farming, but you will certainly learn more about it. Brilliant. Well done. And 2024, what have you got planned? Oh, I mean, it's crazy that we've already got there already. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it means I've only actually got... Um, seven more months left on my term as county chair um although i might try and stay on for the next year uh, in 2024 it will be our um 50th anniversary so uh from the county agm in july it's our 50th year so we're going to have lots of stuff planned for that we're going to have a big 50th anniversary ball we have got so many competitions lined up, um, starting with speaking competitions in the first couple of weeks of January, which everyone is busy practicing for. Um, all our normal competitions, and of course, then leading up to the main part of the year uh, in sort of May, June, where we've got our rally, which we're still planning at the minute, and then quickly on to Link Show, where we seem to have the most crazy two days ever. And we'll have our decorated trailers again this year. Bale rolling, our big stand, water fight, tug of war, everything's going on. So it's going to be a great year, definitely. It's a fantastic organisation. What's the upper age limit? Um, so the upper age limit originally was 26, but uh, a couple of years ago we voted to raise it to 28. So we ranged from 10 to 28 years, which is a really big spread. And with you having sold it so well, if somebody's interested in finding out more or joining one of their local clubs, where can they go for more information, Rosie? So um, you can find us on all the normal social medias, of course. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and we also have a website. Um, so if you uh, search for Links YFC um, on the website, you can find out um, a list of clubs. So you can find your nearest club. Uh, with contact information for the chairman or you can message us directly and we can point you in the right direction. Brilliant. Well, look, have a fantastic 2024 at Lincolnshire Young Farmers. In fact, young farmers across the country. Uh, and you yourself, Rosie, have a brilliant Christmas and New Year. Thank you very much and you too as well. Finally, for this week's special end-of-year farming programme online podcast edition, let's get the thoughts of the Country Land and Business Association, the CLA, from Acting Regional Director Mark Riches. I certainly think resilience has been the word of 2023, and I think will continue to be the word of 2024 with, with, with increased resilience being needed. There's also been a lot of change. I say change is definitely another word. Whilst that is a problem, it can also be an opportunity for those people who who maybe are looking at... Um, a change in the way that that their businesses are going to have to operate because of the changes in the basic payment scheme and the entrepreneurial sort of nature of the farming community means that that people are now looking at what else they can do. Are you talking there about diversifying particularly Absolutely. or just different ways of running the, the regular farming business? 
I think I think both, to be honest, I think both both diversifying and but also people having a real forensic look at the way they run their businesses, where they can save costs, maybe where they can change their markets, um, whether they can sell direct to consumers. You know, there are there are a lot of opportunities and, and farmers are known to be very entrepreneurial individuals and, and, and will always look at the best ways that they can that they can make the most of what they're producing. So definitely um, in terms of giving a kind of an in-depth forensic look at their current business model, their current business practices, but also diversifying as well. I've met plenty of farmers who say, oh, I don't do diversification. And then you look at their business and you say, well, what about the bread and breakfast you're running? What about this you're doing? What about all these other things you're doing? And and often diversification is being done without people even really realising they're engaged in it. Also, there are a number of new markets out there that certainly people are sceptical maybe about slightly the the, the the environmental markets, the payment for public goods and services that we've talked about a lot for the last few years, both in terms of the government sort of funded environmental markets, whether that's anything from SFI through to the new, um, as we've now had it confirmed, will be continued to be referred to as countryside stewardship. But also the private environmental markets as well, you know, the natural capital markets, company, private companies and private investment coming into farming and landowning uh, communities, where whether it be offsetting carbon markets, whether it be offsetting biodiversity um, and obviously biodiversity net gain from, from the planning system that's that's been that's been coming online recently or is due to come online uh, in January next year. It might seem to the outsider that there are more opportunities to make money from not farming your land than actually growing food these days. I think that would be a very fair view when you look at what's coming down uh, the line. It's fair to say that um, the basic payment scheme, whilst it was always called a farming subsidy, was really a food subsidy. It was there and, and it helped keep food prices down ultimately because farmers could sell their food product food products for far less than maybe they would do if they were operating in a in, in an open market without that support so certainly those who are now looking to continue to produce food and absolutely you know it is a it is an essential thing that we all need you know it's something that that they must be not only enabled to do but encouraged to do and government policy must support them on that they are having to very much adopt a, an open market approach you know a world market approach they're, they're they're having to look at selling on on a far more competitive markets, shall we say, that they maybe, maybe they have had to previously. Um, we hear lots of good things from government about how they want to support food production and things, but very little really coming into fruition, whether it be in terms of carbon border adjustment tariffs, those kind of things, you know, which 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 could help support the food production in a perhaps slightly more indirect way. Um, but your comment about other ways to make money, and it seems to be those things are, are being supported far more. I'd say that's true. What we also have to remember, though, is that food and these other markets are not mutually exclusive. It does not have to be one or the other. And, and, and I think that's still a bit of a misunderstanding, people. Um, we, we ran a series of natural capital roadshows last week, and I made the joke at each one that, as we all knew, environmental markets were all just about the bunny huggers and tree planting. And in fact, that's not true. That's often the misconception. But these environmental markets, there are options and opportunities out there that you can work into even the most intensive um, food producing agricultural business. So it isn't simply about changing what you do. It's about optimising the resources you've got and the assets you've got to make best use of those. And that will likely involve continuing where you can intensive agriculture in the middle of the field, but actually what you can do around it, what you can do with those awkward corners, the wet corners, the corners you can't get the drill or the combine into, actually making the most of, of the assets you've got. And as you would in any business, maybe making them work slightly harder for you. How would you feel 2023 has been for the rural economy as a whole? Because we've had various government statements, uh, proposals, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But still we have difficulties with things like planning, with rural connectivity. Those, There's been lots of talk, but it doesn't seem to have been a huge amount of action. Planning is a perennial issue and and it seems to almost becoming a competition amongst the different um, different planning authorities in different counties as to who can be the worst. It's, it's a major blocker to to rural productivity and I'm not for a second suggesting that we should be we should be carpeting over the countryside with houses. 
but we certainly need small scale development in rural villages so, so that these villages can thrive, so that their local services can continue to be supported. And a small number of houses in, an, in a large number of, of small communities actually would have a significant cumulative impact on the overall housing crisis. It would also help those who want to live and work and stay in the areas that they were brought up in, helps those who want to retire and freeing up larger properties to help businesses move on. And you know, planning for farm diversification, for, for small business use um, in, in rural areas is, is hugely important. And we produced a report a couple of years ago now, which showed the potential of the rural economy was if it was allowed to operate on a level playing field with its uh, with, with our urban counterparts. And, and, you know, the I can't remember the exact figure, but it was tens of billions that potentially could be added to the UK economy. So yes, so, so planning continues to be a major issue for our members, and and in terms of the um, in terms of the queries we get coming into the office on a day to day basis, planning makes up by far the largest one. Obviously, we've got the round of rural productivity funding that, that's come out. Um, I think it's fair to say it's been implemented in a fairly mixed way, um, with with varying levels of success depending depending which part of the country or even the county you're in. So we're keeping a keen eye on that and making sure that that it is being implemented implemented correctly. In terms of the wider economy, I think it's fair to say there are a lot of opportunities, but also a lot of challenges. You know, we are seeing continued closure of, of rural pubs, of rural shops, of rural schools. But then we've also seen a lot of positives. Dog walking fields are something that, that seem to have exploded recently. Lots of people who are who are who are founding finding areas that they can that they that they can do dog walking fields on. And it seems to be an incredibly popular business. Um in fact anything to, to do with the dogs seems to be doing well. Dog grooming parlours is another one. Um dogs seem to be big business at the moment. So if you can diversify to something to do with dogs you seem pretty much guaranteed uh, to turn an income from it. Staycations, you know, we've talked a lot about staycations and glamping and things, you know, it's, it's been the buzzwords ever since COVID started to relax. And that does seem to have continued. And income streams have come from that for, for, for people. Weddings is huge, is huge business. Um, and, you know, if you have a pretty site, a pretty barn, a nice house, um, there still seems to be an enormous amount of demand for that and and the, the waiting less for that is is huge now you know people having to book up two three four years in advance just to get the slot they want um so so yes i think it's fair to say there have been some significant challenges but actually some for some of those in the rural economy and those particularly i would say who have who have diversified um there are still some po- very positive stories out there what's the uh, the situation on rural crime this year because that is a perennial thing we get hair coursing we get thefts from rural premises and businesses and so on how's that looked in 2023 it has again been challenging hair coursing fly tipping theft in particular seem to be three three big issues that that are ongoing the police try their best i would say it it, is it's challenging they don't have the resource to deal with the problems we encounter um with things like fly tipping there always seems to be a little bit of finger pointing as to who's actually responsible for it ultimately if it's on private land um the landowner is still responsible for the cleanup costs which which is something we've constantly said is incredibly unfair especially when local authority services are being compressed in terms of their hours, in terms of when you can go, who can go, how much you can take. You know, it's a huge problem and, and fly tipping continues to be a massive problem. Hair coursing, um, I think it's fair to say it's not a problem that decreases. It just moves around when one area has a focus on it and focus on on, on trying to to stop it. It doesn't actually stop. It simply moves to somewhere else. Um, so it's a case of, of, of simply chasing them around the country. And I don't think any real progress has been made in actually reducing um, the hair coursing on a countrywide basis. Police have have powers to remove dogs, to remove vehicles, which they do. But again, it's catching them in the first place. It's then getting successful prosecutions. And obviously where police do try and take dogs, they often have problems because they have nowhere to keep the dogs in the meantime. So it's it's problematic and it's something that we are constantly pushing on because it's it's something that doesn't seem to really be being tackled at the root cause. It's just being moved around the country. Mark, can you offer us a little bit of positivity from the year 2023? One thing I will say in terms of positivity, whilst BPS going has been a problem for a lot of farmers, sustainable farming incentive, whilst not suitable for everybody, I would say if you haven't looked at it, do have a look at it. Whilst the, um, you know, the sums are not always huge, although some of them are actually increasing and are now starting to look quite encouraging, a lot of what 
is being pushed is something that can be very easily incorporated into many current farming systems. Um, I would seriously recommend everybody to take a look at the sustainable farming incentive. It does seem to be generally a fairly easy process. There are some constraints about whether you can do it if you're in stewardship, but, but even if you are in stewardship, there isn't anything stopping you. It may just be the number of options are reduced slightly. So it does seem to have been implemented fairly well. It does seem to have worked, generally speaking. I won't say it's been perfect, but, but it has worked generally. The IT systems um, seem to have been far better than DEFRA's previous attempts, um, so credit to them for that. And those who have entered into it, um, the feedback I've been getting has generally been fairly positive. And I guess if somebody's got questions about that, they can head to the CLA. Absolutely. And seek head your to the CLA advice. website or give us, give us a call about it and we can help you in that. No problem at all. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the Farming Programme and a very happy 2024 to you. And to you, Steve, and to all your listeners. Thank you very much. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Too warm for snow, but some rains likely later on Christmas Day. A windy week this week with gusts up to 50 miles per hour, mostly from the west and southwest. The pressure drops, so very unsettled weather for the second half of the week. Wind and rain most days, temperature highs around 9 or 10, lows of 5 or 6. Well, that's it for this week's extended end-of-year farming programme podcast. Next week, we'll do it again, but we're talking crops, weather, steel, the markets, money, mental health, rural crime and more. And that will go live on all podcast platforms from 7 on New Year's Eve morning. And you can, of course, listen on the free Lynx FM app, the website and smart speaker. Ask yours to play the latest farming programme. And, of course, you can listen anytime you like from 7am every Sunday. I'm Steve Orchard and it just remains for me to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas from all of us at the Farming Programme. Hopefully you can get some quality time with family and friends or at least just enjoy a well-earned break. Don't eat and drink too much. Oh, go on then. One more glass of mulled wine and a mince pie over here. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.